Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Christoph. Hi, Chris. How are you? If I'm going to track down Femke van den Driesche and answer whether or not she was the only person to ever try to win a bike race with a hidden motor... There's one man I need to get on my side. My name is Christophe Meul. I'm a Belgian freelance journalist. My heart is into cycling. And I was the first one to speak to Femke uh, after she got caught. Do you know what happened to Femke in the last six, seven years? Have you ever tried to speak with her or not? Oh, Chris, I've, I've tried to speak uh, with her, but she didn't uh, answer my phone calls or my messages. So, so no, I don't. Uh, I've seen her running a few times, one or two times in Aalst, where I live. But um, yeah, if you, if you really want to know how she is, and if you really want to find out how she is, then you need to come to Belgium. And with that, I pack my bags. It's time to answer a lot of questions. I'm Chris Marshall-Bell, and from Stack, this is Ghost in the Machine. Episode 2, A Hidden Conspiracy. So, I'm in Valencia Airport, it's 7.15am, and I have a flight to Brussels leaving in about 30 minutes. From there, I have a short train journey to Alst, and then I will meet up with Christoph. I I have a mixture of nervous excitement, I've been waiting for this day for quite a few months I have a lot of questions to be answered so yeah as a cyclist would say I'm super excited it's very early in the morning much earlier than I'd like and I'm in Valencia airport the Spanish city where I live I grab a chocolate croissant my absolute favorite while holiday makers all around me get their fix of caffeine my destination isn't sun sand and cocktails by the beach it's fruits mayo and beer in Flanders Belgium I arrive in Alst, the hometown of Femke, and, coincidentally, where Christoph also lives with his young family. Christoph's a tall, bespectacled man with swept back brown hair. He's usually behind the camera, asking cyclists questions before and after races for the Belgian broadcaster, Sporza. When I hop off the train, he's waiting for me, there at the station. He greets me with a big smile on his face. Hello, Christoph. Hey, Chris. Finally we meet. Finally, after many, many phone calls, yeah. we are together. How are you? I'm fine. You had a good trip? Yeah, it was good. Okay. Let's get to work now. Let's go. A reminder. In episode one, we learned that Belgium's upcoming superstar, Femke van den Driesche, had become the first ever cyclist to be caught 
hiding a motor inside a bike. In Femke's case, it was in her spare bike, the one awaiting her in the pits at the 2016 Cyclocross World Championships where she was favourite to win the women's under-23 race. It sent shockwaves throughout cycling. I saw they put the saddle out of the frame and I saw wires coming out of the frame. I still have it now. From that moment, it was terrible, really terrible. It's probably one thing choosing to, to blood dope or whatever, another thing to sort of put a motor in your bike. Femke pleaded innocence, claiming the bike was her friend's, and we're going to investigate this fully throughout this series. We have heard and spoken to many cycling insiders who say they suspect Femke isn't the only person who's concealed a motor inside a bike's frame. And in this episode, we're going to explore that theory in depth. But first, we need to go back to the Zolder racing circuit in Belgium. It's better known for hosting really, really fast cars. Faster even than bikes with a hidden motor inside them. But in January 2016, it held the Cyclocross World Championships. I want to know what the people present that day in Zolder saw, heard and felt. First stop, Joss Smets, the then technical director of the Belgian Cycling Federation. As the country's de facto head of cycling, he took responsibility for everything that happened from a Belgian perspective at the 2016 World Championships. It's a wonderful sunny blue sky day and we are in Heverley, is, is that how you say it? Heverley, yes. Heverley. And we are outside the... Now, let's see if I can pronounce this correctly. Probably not. And we are outside the offices of Cycling Vlanderen. I pronounced that okay, no? Perfect. Like like the Ronde... The Ronde. Ronde de Vlanderen, no? (laughs) Almost. (laughs) Enough of my terrible pronunciation. We meet Joss and head inside his office. How do you call it? Yeah, we'll. Yeah, I'll have some some water, please. Small and slight, Joss possesses the warmth of a favourite uncle. Adding to the charm, his office is like a mini cycling museum. On the right, we've got all of these trophies with bikes on, and then on the left again, again we've got some huge trophies. Actually, the five times the size of my head. Cycling is Joss's life. He is also one of a few people with first-hand knowledge of what exactly happened that day in 2016. Moments after Femke's bike had been tagged and seized when the scanning technology indicated the possible presence of a motor in her bike, Joss took an emergency call from the Director General of the UCI, Cycling's world governing body. called me, Joss, you have to come immediately. There's a, a big problem. I'm afraid, oh, what kind of big problem would I have to come immediately? There was a break in the race. No, 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 you have to come, you have to come. There's really a, a, a big problem. So, uh... And I said to him, it's, I don't know where it came from, but is it something with the bike, I said. <laughs> and I said, yes, it can't be true. And then I went immediately over there. It was in one of the, uh, the pit zones from, from, uh, from, from the Formula One races in, in, in one of these offices. <sighs> you don't believe your eyes, huh? Joss walks to the racing circuit's garages and he's pointed to where the bike is being inspected. A UCI official rolls up the garage door and ushers him inside. He then spots the crime, propped up on a wall at the back. The cell was, 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 was lifted and you saw all the... Um, uh, the wires? The wires, yeah. The wires coming out and... Jesus, this is... This, I know what it is now. You don't have to, there's no doubt about it anymore. Was this, huh? Shock is palpable. But at this point, Femke is none the wiser. She doesn't even know her spare bike was seized. Then, word finally reaches her. She must visit the garage. She is hurried in, flanked by her father Peter and a family friend, Nico van Mulder. As she ducks under the roll-up doors, a dozen pairs of incriminating eyes stare back at her. She knows exactly what's happened now. She starts sobbing and cries innocence, pointing fingers to Nico and saying that the bike belongs to him, not her. And I tried to take her separately. And I said, Femke, tell the truth is the best thing you can do. And he started crying. No, no, no. I said, this is not my bike. That's always what she said. This is not my bike. 
this is the bike of Nico, I have nothing to do with it. That was all the time she was repeating this, but she was really uh, crying. Nico, a former racing cyclist himself, then speaks up. He repeated, it's my bike, but when they asked details about the bike, he didn't know anything about it, so it was clear that it was not his bike. (laughs) So, did they ask Nico, for example, show us how this works? Yeah, they they, they asked him... uh, where is the the button to, to activate the engine? And he couldn't. He showed the button, but it was the wrong button. So. Nico didn't know how to activate his own bike's motor. As we heard from Joss in episode one, he thinks motor doping is much worse, morally speaking, than riders injecting themselves with performance-enhancing drugs. But what really stung him that day in Zolder was the fact that one of his athletes at a home world championships had dishonoured Belgian cycling with a mistake he was responsible for guarding against. He felt personally injured. So this day, this moment, where does it rank for you in in your life in cycling? Let's say you have a lot of black moments. Huh? In, 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 uh, and, and of course uh, the accidents and the deaths we had, uh, that is the worst thing that can happen. But at black moment at sport level... Uh, Honestly, this is the worst moment of my life about, about this. Josh repeats what he's already told us. He was ashamed by Femke's actions. And it had a profound effect on him. Sometimes you have to say, you have still to believe in humanity. But this was really uh, a moment in my life that I changed, not luckily for myself, not 100%, but I changed my point of view to, to human beings. That's really powerful. Yeah, 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 because I was so convinced that a sportsman should never do that. And then you see the proof that they do, that it's possible. Let's say I became more and more uh, 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 careful about taking decisions, about believing people. I know too that Rudy Deby, the then cyclocross coach of the Belgian national team, felt similar to Joss. I've already spoken on the phone with Rudy, but now Christoph and I are heading to his house in rural Flanders. Only, it takes us a while to actually get to him. Where are we? We are in Putte, a um, small village in the countryside. That's You can tell we're in the countryside. <laughs> That's a perfect timing. Um, and this is the place where Rudy de Bee lives. Let's ring the bell. Let's, uh, let's speak to Where is the Mr. bell Rudy? anyway? Oh. Or maybe we just knock the door. Yeah. We knock on the house where Rudy tells us he lives, but a woman sees us and then puts down the shutter. Are we at the wrong, are we at the wrong house? So I call him. But he doesn't answer. That, that was typically Flemish. Really? Yeah. Lift up the shutter. Yeah, we don't want then, them in, and then, and then shut them down. We try another house that we think that. might be Rudy's. Wow. But no one's at home. They did not want us there. Then he rings. Hello. Hey, Rudy. Christophe Meul van Sporza here. We staan uh, in the Bergestraat. Wow. Ja, 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 ja. Ik ken Bergestraat. Dat was een vroegere straat dat ik vroeger. He sent us to the wrong bloody street. I said that he wasn't very good with technology. He's not very good of where he lives. <laughs> Back in the car, armed with new directions, off we go again. Ah, yes, up, up, up ahead. Ah, oh, well, Rudy's got a brilliant garden there. I reckon he's a gardener. We turn up and there he is. He is indeed a gardener. A small, balding man. He's bent over, tending to his flowers. He isn't loving this unseasonably sunny weather, though. Too dry. Too dry, yeah? Yeah. He shows us around his garden and then welcomes us into his bungalow. He goes to the fridge, opens it up, and staring back at him at dozens of different types of Belgian beer. Rudy is so Belgian, he even has Flanders flags on his socks. He offers Christophe and I two of his local favourites and we clink glasses. I could get used to this Belgian hospitality. Sitting down, relaxed, I want to take Rudy back to Zolder 2016 to the home of the Cyclocross World Championships. He was Femke's national team coach, meaning what happened that day happened on his watch. We've already spoken a few months ago on the phone, and that conversation is on his mind. I almost got it until you called. 
<laughs> really? And then it's... It's yeah, all coming back. It's all coming back and then also the, the anger. Oh, Before we get to his anger, I want to focus a little more on that fateful day in 2016. He told me about seeing Femke's bike moments after it had been seized and the official removing the seat post to reveal the, you know what, I'm just going to let him explain this part. And they put it out of the frame and I saw three, four, I, I don't know, three, four, five thin wires. And immediately I had something about, oh no, this is not real. And it was. Back in his house, drinking from his stock of Belgian beers, he returns to that moment and how he felt. We were ashamed. We were really ashamed. I can tell now that you are still very angry. I'm still very angry, yeah. But why? But why? Because if you, you're talking about cheating, that's cheating. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. It, it, it has nothing to do with, with training. This is, this is mechanically uh, support. This is just really cheating. The other, the, other, the other side of doping, that's also cheating, but different. How long did it take for you to, to not be as angry? Or have you never lost that anger? I never lost it. No, I never lost it. Do you think you ever will lose it? After it's happening, I never met Femkin again. Not one person of the family. Would you like to meet her? No. Why not? No, she's... It's seven years ago. She's a growing-up woman. Probably she's already married and have kids. And I don't know. I don't know. I know nothing about her. If, If you were to meet her, wherever it may be, and she came up to you. I would talk to her. You would talk if to she her. come to me, I will talk to her. And would you ask for answers? Would you ask for an apology? If she if she gives if she give personally some answers spontaneously, I will accept them. But there's no there's no good answer for that for this. There's one more person I want to speak to about that day in Zolder, Brian Cookson, who at the time was the president of cycling's world governing body the UCI. He oversaw the disciplinary panel who decided on the punishment that should be meted out on Femke. The panel concluded that she should be fined, a pretty hefty fine, 20,000 Swiss francs, um, and uh, I think six years of uh, a ban from, from the sport. But as it happened, Femke never paid the fine. She is therefore banned for life from cycling, unless she pays the 20,000 Swiss franc penalty handed out to her by the Switzerland-based UCI. Her results from the 2015-16 cyclocross season were also scrapped. As we heard in episode one, Willier, who provided bikes to Femke's team, threatened to sue her. But when I reach out to them in the summer of 2023, they tell me only that Willier as a company do not have any further comments on this episode. It's not known whether they sued her or not. Christoph then sends me a voice note explaining that Femke's lawyers gave up on her and the family. Hi Chris, I just had a little chat with Femke's lawyers um, and they don't want to give an interview. Um, They don't want to tell a lot on the record. They are not very happy with the story and all what happened. Um, But what they wanted to tell me is that Femke always stick to her story, that it was an accident, that she was not a cheater. Um, So they helped her for the first weeks and months. But then when UCI banned her, they let the story go. There was no cooperation, collaboration uh, anymore. And afterwards, they didn't hear from each other anymore. So that's all they can say. That's all what they want to say. And what about her team? Club up Matt, no drugs. No sniggering at the name. Their owner, Iwan Gervers, said that we are also victims in this case. Does this match the Femke van den Driesche I know? He asked. I know her as someone who was strongly influenced by her family. The team did continue the following winter, but with a different name. Cookson informs me that such was the seriousness of the matter that the UCI looked into the possibility of involving the Belgian police. In France and Italy, Motodobi can land someone in prison, but Femke was spurred since there's no similar law in Belgium and she'd not ridden the bike in the race. 
the UCI subsequently stopped their own legal case. In the end, the advice that came back was that it, it, it would be fruitless to try and pursue people who probably weren't even members of a, of a UCI-affiliated federation. The UCI gave up chasing money and dancers. Belgian Cycling did too. We can also assume that Willier admitted defeat. Although Femke, once upon a time Belgium's greatest hope, may not have paid a heavy price financially, her cycling career was over at the age of just 19. And no one seems to know what's happened to her since. I still can't shake the desire to know how she is. How did this crushing event impact her life? Though everyone else threw in the towel in the search for answers and the truth, I won't. Part of the reason I can't give up on these questions is because something tells me that it's only by understanding the impact on Femke will I come to appreciate the stakes of being caught with a motor. Is the fact that she got caught enough of a deterrent to stop anyone else risking a ban? On the other hand, maybe now she looks back and doesn't regret anything. After all, her defence is that it wasn't her bike and it was there by accident. To further understand whether others might be tempted to cheat in this way, we need to explore exactly how you go about hiding a motor in a bike. And then once you've done so, how you would, in theory, get away with it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Okay, let's get technical. How do you actually hide a motor inside a bike? We'll try to keep this as simple as possible. Think of a bike's frame. It's basically a triangle, right? The lowermost angle of the triangle is where the pedals attach via the cranks. This is called the bottom bracket. Inside the bottom bracket is the mechanism that turns the chain and drives the cogs on the back wheel. You still with me? The saddle, the seat, slots into the seat tube the upright section of the bike's frame. When cheating with a motor, this is where it is hidden, inside the seat tube. It is then connected to the mechanism inside the bottom bracket, and you can see where we're going here. As for the battery, that's usually hidden in the frame or an attached water bottle. Or for those who really don't care about that motor being spotted, in a bag, under the saddle. The motor is switched on via a button mounted on the handlebars. The wire is hidden inside the frame. Even better, go wireless. The bike founder Femke was. Her motor was controlled by a Bluetooth switch installed under her handlebar tape. The motor in Femke's bike was a VVAX Assist, made by an Austrian company and retailing for around two and a half thousand euros. It was an off-the-peg product anyone could buy. And here's an important point: they were not designed for cheating. VVAX motors became very popular in the 2010s, before e-bikes had emerged as an affordable option for cyclists. Riders who wanted to add motorised assistance converted bikes themselves. Some still do so now. A full charge of a motor lasts for up to 100 minutes, double the time of a woman's cyclocross race. If she'd used it in that race, Femke could have had the motor on the entire way around. Cycling power is measured in watts, just like light bulbs. The VVAX motor provides 200 watts of additional power. For context, using leg power alone, 
200 watts is a steady level of effort for an average rider, like myself. The motor effectively gives you a second set of legs. Enough to turn an amateur into a pro, or a pro into, well, the most unbeatable pro in the world. Just give me my top gear moment, please. You're probably thinking, wait a second, it's all far too obvious. Surely a hidden motor would have to be subtle. And yeah, you may well be onto something. Many think that the VVAX Assist was the poor man's motor, only used by amateurs. And that kind of supports Femke's case that it was a simple training aid. Why would she have used something so unsophisticated? People who know a lot more about motors than I do tell me that there are more sophisticated products available, including motors that provide a subtle 50 watts and which can be inside the rear wheel's hub. That's the central part of the wheel. These hub motors are direct drive to the cogs. It's claimed that these smarter motors can even be activated automatically by a rider's heart rate monitor, doing away with telltale buttons altogether. There are also electromagnetic wheels. These work by several small magnets being embedded in the rim of the rear wheel. The motion of the magnets passing through electromagnetic coils creates a current which can be used to charge a battery contained elsewhere in the wheel. Power from the battery is released into the electromagnetic coils to spin the wheel faster. We'll come back to electromagnetic wheels when we meet the pioneer of this technology. But for now, back to Femke's motor, the VVAX Assist. They weren't the only company producing such motors in 2016, but they were the market leader. At the time, several shops across Europe were selling them. A few days after Femke was caught, the company's CEO, Dido Kopp, spoke to Sky News. It's a very lightweight system, so the motor engine is only approximately 800 grams inside the frame. So if you, if you pedal without, um, without the motor, you don't feel that there is a motor inside the bike. For years, rumours have existed that Fabian Cancellara, one of the leading cyclists of his generation, used a motor to win the 2010 Tour of Flanders, the biggest race in Belgium. It's a claim that Spartacus, as he is known, has always denied, strongly. We dropped Fabian's people a line, but didn't get a response. I'm watching video footage of that race. Cancellara and his eternal rival Tom Bonin have been neck and neck for 240 kilometres in one of the most demanding races in cycling. Then, on the penultimate steep cobbled climb, Cancellara begins to move away from Bonin. Oh, he just sits in the saddle and turns the pedal. Oh, what class! And Bonin's struggling. Bonin's struggling to hang up. That is super class. But while Bonin strains every sinew to close the gap, Cancellara remains seated. It defies logic, but a one-metre gap becomes two metres, and by the time he's at the top of the short climb, Cancellara has opened up a 20-metre advantage. He is there, man, but Cancellara has just ridden away at the moment. How far has he made that gap? Well, it's big enough that the cameras can't see it. It's an extraordinary move that wins him the race. Many people have used this footage to cry motor doping, but for me it falls far short of proof. It's entirely circumstantial and nothing concrete emerged at the time or since. Curiously, as I research VVAX Assist, I come across an article with the founders Karl and Monica Schweitzer from 2017. The journalist asks them if they sold Cancellara a VVAX Assist motor. Monica laughs. She says no. She adds, however, that she can't rule out that Cancellara may have got his hands on a motor from elsewhere. Cancellara isn't the only one to have had to fight claims that he used a motor in the years before Femke was caught. Spain's Alberto Contador, a.k.a. El Pistolero, has been regularly accused of using a motor in both the Tour de France and the Giro d'Italia. There are a collection of hearsay anecdotes and suspicious YouTube videos that many refer to. No evidence has been provided and he too has always denied it. And as he approaches the Flamme Rouge, Chris Froome is riding like a champion in waiting. This has been one of the gutsiest performances we have seen from this man. And that is a very... Then there's Chris Froome, a four-time winner of the Tour de France. The Briton is regarded as the best bike rider of his generation. But back when he was dominating the Tour, French fans would pour urine on him and he was regularly booed. Many regarded this as sour grapes from the French. But were suspicions of foul play feeding into the antagonism? American Greg LeMond, a three-time winner of the Tour de France, certainly isn't Froome's biggest fan. This is what he told the Roadman podcast in 2023 when responding to claims about Cancellara. Yeah, I've, I've talked to pros on a team that knows they were used in the, in the same team. They're not going to be popular, but if you look at Chris Froome's Mount Ventoux, 
they released the file, I could, I believe, I could show you, it's, there's so many unnatural things there. And if you go back today and watch some of the performances that period, the RPMs are insane, insane. And remember, there is no efficient, nobody's efficient at 110 RPMs up a climb ever. And the acceleration that was taking place on Von 2, it really bothered, bothered me. Froome, for his part, claimed a few days after Femke was caught that he had tried to tell the UCI to do more. It's, it's a concern that I've had, something that I've brought up with uh, the UCI Independent Commission when I sat down with them um, and said, listen, well, from my point of view, there are these rumours. Um, it would be my, my advice that the UCI implements controls and, and measures to start checking bikes more regularly. Le Monde, however, doesn't just reserve his scepticism for Froome. I'm a sceptic on everything. Really, I am. I, I, I sometimes can't follow cycling because I sometimes don't believe it. And I tr- truly believe motors were used to, you went a lot of big races until very recently. It was a real deal. And I, I look at it now, they're doing 65 bikes deal. You don't see bike changes like you did five years ago. There's one more story you ought to know. In January 2017, Jean-Pierre Verdi, the former testing director of the French anti-doping agency, told US broadcaster CBS that 12 riders used motors hidden inside their bikes at the 2015 Tour de France. That's one team and a half. No evidence was provided. We reached out to the representatives of Cancelara, Contador and Froome, but we did not hear back from them. So who, and what, do we believe? I turned to my colleague Jeremy Whittle, a veteran of Cycling's press room, for insight on what the sports followers have been thinking against the backdrop of these rumours. I mean, I think for the most part, most people didn't take it seriously. Um... And it was kind of not swept under the carpet, but it was suppressed. The stories of motor doping, the rumours of motor doping were really suppressed. So it was always kind of laughed off and deemed the stuff of the trolls, the cynics and the conspiracy theorists. Despite that, though, the steady drip drip of allegations combined with a sense that cycling's governing body, the UCI, is not doing enough to combat the threat of mechanical doping have continued to fuel many people's concerns. I mean, the peak of suspicion for me came the 2013 tour when Chris Froome totally annihilated his rivals on the slopes of Mont Ventoux in Provence, which is a climb I know really well. And, and yes, there were already suspicions centred on both Fabien Cancellara and Alberto Contador and one or two other riders as well. But Froome's just violent accelerations on a mountain so fearsome that riders had collapsed and even died in the past were just extraordinary. For the first time, these rumours and stories make me think that motor doping might actually have been happening several years before Femke was caught. I speak with more colleagues about my doubts, and they all tell me that they too have no idea whether Femke was the only one to turn up to a race with a motor. But many suspect not. Femke being caught was big worldwide news. But in the grand scheme of things, she was a small fish within the cycling world. More and more colleagues tell me that there is a Frenchman and an Italian I must turn to next if I'm going to properly investigate motor doping. So I'm Thierry Vildari, I'm a French journalist, French uh, investigative journalist. Let's start in the French corner. Thierry has been investigating motor doping since 2015. He's done some wild investigations. One star dirt documentary he made for French public television in 2016 remains the go-to documentary for sceptics. Since then, he's been quietly working away in the background, collecting tidbits of information and developing sources who, he believes, will one day feed him proof that will confirm motors were, and maybe still are, used in professional bike races. I had a contact with a close friend. I will tell you a story. Four years ago, he was in contact with a a mechanic man, a mechanical. It was a private mechanical of a big, big star of cycling of the, the last 15 years. Pause the pod and get the popcorn ready. He said to my friend, he said, oh, are you still in contact with a French journalist uh, who is uh, looking, uh, uh, who is investigating in the, in the motors? He said, yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm in contact with him. So you can tell to him that maybe I have something to, to tell to him. Maybe I will talk. Maybe I will show some uh, some things, some photos, and things like that. I said, yeah, great. Uh, but why were you talking? Because my guy, 
the Pro, which was just X-Pro at this time, said to me that he have a bill to me. He promised me 500,000 euro that he never gave to me. So if he don't pay, I will talk. Uh, my friend told that, I say, oh, that's enormous. After years of investigating, Thierry thought he was about to finally have proof of the existence of motors at the highest level of cycling. But then the mechanic backed off. Finally, I guess that this uh, champion paid the bill because uh, the guy said, no, no, uh, I, I, have nothing to, I have nothing to tell. Uh, finally, I have nothing to say. Thierry's got one more story. I had a call from next world champion. He said to me, uh, Thierry, that's okay what you do. I believe what you do and go on because uh, they stole me some victory. They're intriguing tales, but Thierry is somewhat of a controversial figure. Some people believe that he is one of a very small number of people actively trying to prove the existence of motors. Others, including many in the sport, think he's nothing but a conspiracist. I've spoken with Thierry regularly in the past year, and I trust his information, mainly because he's so well-respected among investigative journalists. I'm sure he's onto something, but I worry he might be too invested in the story. He's so certain about motors. Does anyone in the sport take him seriously? You are probably the journalist who's done more work on this, yourself and Marco. A lot of people respect Mm. what you do, but there's also... A lot of people who think that you are a conspiracist, you have no evidence, that you are chatting, let's be honest, bullshit. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. what do you say to those people? And has it affected your credibility as a journalist? I don't want to convince. I just show that there are so many ways to cheat. That is almost impossible that no one never cheats with some uh, mechanical doping. That's that dirt documentary I mentioned has been viewed almost 4 million times on YouTube. Thierry worked on it with an Italian colleague. My name is Marco Bonarigo. I'm a journalist working for the main Italian political newspaper, the Corriere della Sera. Marco started investigating rumours of motor doping in 2017, after several riders and managers alerted him to their suspicions claiming that performances were superior to that of riders using EPO. After making contact with several companies in Hungary, Italy and England who made these concealed motors, he then took a thermal imaging camera to several top-level races. He set up his camera at the side of the road, capturing hotspot images as riders raced past him. He found what he and independent engineers claim was evidence of hidden motors inside bike frames. We collected a lot of suspicions, a lot of indication, Reliable, I can see, but we haven't found a motor. We have collected a lot of information, very useful, to proceed in our in our investigation. That's all, basically. Like Thierry, Marco wants to regale us with a story. We went to to UK because there there was a sort of connection, a link between Monte Carlo and Great Britain. Uh, commercial connection to sell uh, motors to some pro team. Still got that popcorn? We have found evidence of motorbikes sold to some pro team. Wow, this is huge. Marco says he found paper trails confirming that a major professional cycling team bought bikes with hidden motors inside them. He refuses to tell me the identity of the team. And when we try to ask to the pro team, have you... In fact, have you bought some motorbike? They say, okay, yes, probably, but they are used from the staff. They are used from our president. They are used from our coach just because it's 50 50 years old and we need that to train. So we have found some evidence, some commercial evidence of commerce between big pro World Tour team and producer. The team repeated their claims that the bikes were for staff but Marco didn't accept their explanation and continued asking questions. A second question, but those are the same bike 
with the same uh, pictures that you have for your pro team. Yes, because they would, would have the same bike of our riders. So this is legal and, and it's difficult to to say what exactly they did what with the, those bikes. As we've already briefly touched upon, the motor Femke used is not the technology that you choose if you wanted to hide a motor in your bike at a pro race today. Nowadays, the technology is smaller, lighter and much more subtle. More on that later. For now, we're more concerned about the claims that some of the biggest names in the sport have already got away with it and that some continue to do so. What Marco and Thierry both say chimes with conversations I continue to have with a handful of former professionals, some very recently retired but none of them want to go public. Why? Well, as one said to me, what have I got to gain from it, apart from receiving abuse? However, one now retired former elite level rider who competed in some of the world's biggest bike races did agree to an interview on condition of anonymity. We've voiced him up. Listen, man, I think EPO was deep. Even about 10 years ago, a lot of guys were on it. You know, As for motors, we're talking about four of five of the most hideous guys. Being on drugs is one thing, but using a motor, that's a big fuck you. I think the mentality was, if everyone's on EPO, well, it's the Wild West, right? Sure. You throw a motor in, who gives a fuck? Everyone is trying to out-cheat each other anyway. Among riders, the use of motors was discussed as a given. It was kind of top secret, but then a bunch of weird-ass videos came out, and they had all added up to what we had been saying. Yet despite these fears, concerns that emanate from the highest tier of the sport, it's all still just hearsay, speculation and intuitions. Also, we can't discard the possibility that some of these anecdotes might have been through several rounds of telephone. While many are concerned, most pros, former and current, laughed disbelievingly whenever asked about the prospect of mechanical fraud. Who'd be so arrogant, they say, to whiz around a race with a motor hidden in the frame or wheels? For motor doping, I don't know. Now... Since uh, electric bikes are a big thing, no, we can see that uh, it's pretty difficult to fit a proper motor in in a road bike, and uh, that is like that you cannot see it, no. I think, uh, yeah, if that would be a thing ever, I think for sure somebody would notice so far. Yeah. You don't think it's possible in today's age? I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, motor uh, in the bike was uh, like not big thing, but there were more uh, more rumors in the past, like a few years ago, like five, six, ten years ago. But yeah, uh, now uh, that you mentioned this, uh, I cannot remember when was the last time I heard about this. So yeah, I think we're quite. Uh, on the safe side, I would say. That's the Slovenian rider, Tare Pogaccia. He's won the Tour de France twice and he's the biggest name in cycling at this current moment. The truth is Femke remains the only one to have been caught with a motor. If motors really existed and were used to win the biggest bike races, surely someone somewhere would have slipped up or confessed to their use. If a rider is using a motor, a mechanic, and a team manager, you would imagine, would also have to know. With rumours beginning to circulate more widely in the years before Femke was caught, there were growing calls to introduce some form of testing for motors. We've already heard Chris Froome saying that he told the UCI to act. Brian Cookson was elected UCI president in 2013, tasked with restoring the sport's credibility after the litany of doping scandals. When I speak with him, he surprises me by confirming that until 2016, there was no detection technology on hand to help race officials. Bikes were very occasionally dismantled, but there were no X-ray machines or fancy tech that could locate a hidden motor inside a frame or wheel. Just think about that for a moment. At a time when rumours were rife that Cancellara, Contador and Froome had won races with a motor, the sports governing body were unable to properly search for mechanical fraud. The would-be cheaters were not just one step, but several steps ahead of the game. They had a licence to whack a motor in their bike, knowing they were almost certain to get away with it. Little wonder Cookson realised he had to tackle motor doping. We also looked at all of the, the UCI regulations and they were very, very weak in terms of there wasn't really anything about that sort of technological doping or, or you know motor doping or whatever. It was all it was all the technical regs were all more about, you know, the, the dimensions of a bike and, and um, <clears throat> 
you know, the means of propulsion, i.e. a chain, that sort of thing. There, was, there wasn't really anything that, that, that was uh, um, aimed at dealing with potential secret motors or, or any, anything like that, really. Cookson was under no illusions about the seriousness of the issue. He'd seen the rumours, the videos. This was a really, you know, um, existentialist threat to uh, to the sport again, you know? So it was something that we had to take seriously. Over a period of a year, the UCI, in partnership with a British company based in Birmingham, developed a magnetic scanner that could be attached to an iPad. The iPad scanner would scan the bike's frames and wheels, and if a number between 1 and 10 appeared, it indicated the presence of a magnetic field. If there was reason to believe that a motor was inside the bike, the bike would be taken away to be dismantled. The technology made its debut at the 2016 Cyclocross World Championships, catching Femke's bike on its first outing. It means that even motor doping was rife, the UCI had indeed been tipped off about her bike, despite denying that that was the case, or it was all just a massive coincidence. Which one was it? These exact same scanners are still in use today, eight years later. The technology has many critics, and we'll come to this in a later episode, but it does allow for up to 180 bikes to be scanned quickly before a race starts. Femke's bike being caught was vindication for UCI President Cookson. Someone's trying to cheat at that level, um, then if we've caught somebody, then that's a pretty good signal to anybody who might be considering cheating um, at a different sort of level, whether it's road, track, mountain bike, cyclocross, uh, or, or whatever. Cookson hoped it would result in widespread praise of the UCI's efforts. I was happy we caught somebody because, <laughs> you know, it's. Uh, I felt perhaps a little bit naively at the time that this will finally put the rumours to bed. You know, we've got a system that works. Um, we've caught somebody and we're keeping on deploying this system. And um, uh, if there's anybody even thinking about cheating in this way, um, there's a pretty big uh, warning sign um, been flagged up there. We'll, we'll catch you. We've got a system that works. He re-emphasises his point. I think we got it right because the very first time that we deployed the system, bang, we got somebody, bang to rights. Cookson's joy was short-lived, though. He now believes that this scandal was one of the main reasons as to why he was ousted as the UCI president in 2017. Frenchman David Lepartiend winning the ensuing election and questioning the effectiveness of Cookson's system. Lepartiend, who was on the management committee at the time, claimed that the detection system was poor and that it wasn't a good enough preventative measure to eradicate the risk of motors from the sport. I get on well fine with David Lepartiend these days, um, but I do think that it was an unnecessary... uh, uh, diversion that we still had to keep uh, insisting that uh, the system worked uh, when, uh, in my view, everyone involved at the UCI was clear that it was a good system, that it did work. There were some tense boardroom meetings. We did have some rows about it at UCI and the management committee, to be honest. I was very, very disappointed. Um that uh, David was unsupportive of uh, of it. Uh, I think he could and should have been uh, more supportive of it. And um, it was certainly it was certainly it certainly made life difficult um, uh, for quite a while um, uh, in the latter half of my uh, time as as UCI president. Yeah. Let's put all the suspicions on ice for a moment and accept that Femke remains the only person ever to have been caught with a motored bike. In her corner. To explore if this really is feasible, that the scandal is somehow limited to one 19 year old Belgian woman who denies ever using it in a race, we need to better understand who she was, her background, and who she is now. Back in the office of Joss Smets, sitting beneath the gold framed portrait of five Eddie Merckxes, who, I remind you, is basically a king in Belgium, the former technical director of Belgian Cycling remembers what he told a colleague the morning of the 2016 Cyclocross World Championships. When I'm least expecting it, he drops a bombshell about Femke's older brother. Before the race, standing with um, Ronnie van Marke, our old coach, I was talking to him and I said, the same thing, I hope that uh, 
the environment of, of Femke will be more careful with her than with her brother, huh? because her brother Niels was uh, penalized and uh, suspended for two years for uh, doping. And I said to, to Ronnie, I, I hope they, her environment will be more careful and more... Uh, and that was so... Afterwards, if you look a few hours later, they said, what have I said? <laughs> Just revealed that Niels van den Driesche, Femke's older brother by three years, was previously suspended from cycling for a doping offence. It turns out there's more to Femke and her family than meets the eye. Much more, in fact. In the next episode, we will reveal that being discovered with a doped bike was just one episode in a string of many curious ones in the world of the Van den Driesches. I wish you all the best, uh, best of luck uh, in, search, in search for answers. My journey to finding out exactly how Femke fits into the bigger puzzle of motor doping is about to take me down some rabbit holes I never expected. Pigeon racing, pigeon doping, bankruptcy, carnivals. As long as you have money, you have doping. You know, it's just the same in horse, in camelids, in dogs, and also in pigeons. You've been listening to Ghost in the Machine. New episodes will be released every Monday. Alst is a very special city. Uh, when you say in Belgium you live in Alst, then they say, oh no, oh my God. Ghost in the Machine is a stack production. It is presented by me, Chris Marshall-Bell, the podcast's general classification contender. It was written by myself and David Bradford, the sports director of the series. Sound design is by Tom Worley, the podcast's lead-out man. It was produced by Pete Donaldson, the road captain. A special thanks to super domestique Christophe Mouy. And a thanks also to the three Swanyers, Finn Ranson, Charlie Morgan and Katie Baxter. Chapeau. Ghost in the Machine is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creative Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.